0: you're tired of spending money on trail cameras you use as tools only to find out they're built like freaking toys or you've struggled with unreliable not so dependable cameras or experienced customer service that flat out disappointed you i've been there those problems literally birthed exodus eight years ago when they shipped their first camera exodus had a clear desire to not only build elite products that enabled you to set it and forget it all season long but also to back them like no other company was willing to with an unmatched level of customer service and support see for yourself why exodus has over 15,000 satisfied customers they've quickly become known for their five-year no bs warranty quality cameras and best in-class customer service you heard that right exodus believes in their products so much every single camera is backed by a five-year warranty that includes theft and accidental damage coverage each camera is checked for quality control standards before it leaves the warehouse they wouldn't use it, you don't get it. Exodus is so confident. you love your new Exodus camera. They're offering you, the listener of this show, 15% off your next order today. Just use code BTE. If you don't love it, get your money refunded in the first 30 days and just send her back. Exodus really has two excellent cell cam options for uh, all budgets. and They start at just $179, plus you're 15% off there, you use the code BTE. They have competitive data plans that allows you to purchase a, a plan and use the data as you see fit. They want you to be in control. There's no annual commitment and no limit on how many cameras you can run on one plan. You can share cameras with friends, no charge, which makes the X's lineup a great option for hunting clubs and leases. There are no additional fees for HD photo requests. That's pretty nice. No additional fees for video uploads. And all cameras share data on a single data plan for easy management. See for yourself why so many have made the switch to Exodus and experienced the Exodus difference. Use code BTE to get 15% off your next order today. Now, let's talk about Osseo Gear. It's a great option for whitetail hunters. They develop a premium line of bow hunting gear that will rival any other clothing on the market in quality. Plus, you got a lifetime warranty on anything you buy from ASIO, which is pretty nice. They have a super unique camo pattern and great technology in their garments to keep you comfortable in the stand. So visit asiogear.com, get you some premium hunting clothing. Gotta talk to you about Stealth Outdoors, makers of Stealth Strips, Stealth strips really are a, a product that any hunter, whether you're a weekend warrior or a guy that hunts almost every day, really needs to take advantage of. Stuff absolutely deadens your, your gear uh, to make it essentially uh, noise-free. If you haven't checked out stealth strips yet, stop buying all the other crappy alternatives like the hockey tape and any other stuff you're trying to use to silence your gear. Get the good stuff. Get stealth Strips, visit StealthOutdoors.com, pick you up from Stealth Strips. All my partners are linked in the description below. Go check them out. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Hope everybody's doing uh, good tonight. We got, uh, uh, what, What, Paul, your second time on, I think, now?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, second time now.
0: Paul Pachura is on again. Uh, Tonight, we're gonna get into a few different things, yeah. Thanks for coming on, dude.
1: Yeah, no problem.
0: Me and Paul uh converse a lot on Facebook Messenger and stuff, but we don't get to talk to each other much. So, um, we were uh, you had a you texted me the other day about some your your experiences with mock scrapes this year, (laughs) and I thought, man, we ought to talk about that for a while. We'll talk about some (laughs) gear stuff because uh, Paul's like my he's one of my go-tos whenever I'm thinking about tinkering with something or doing something. I'm like, I bet Paul's done this or tinkered with this before. And I'll I'll be sure to ask him before I go too crazy uh, on something. I probably researched somebody else's done it. Yeah, exactly. So I just wanted to, I thought people would find it interesting. Some of the things that um, I, I just, I I always respect someone a lot that um, isn't satisfied with their gear. Like I always, like I look at your gear, I'm like this guy, he he's fine tuning things like that's that's how I, I look at it. Your d- attention to detail in your gear and the uniqueness of your gear also is super awesome. Yeah. So I just wanted to talk to you about that. But first I want to talk to you about mock scrapes because I have too been tinkering with mock scrapes the last couple of years and trying to find my path on how to use them. Um and yeah. I just was cur- curious about uh, what you thought of them this year, your technique for setting up some mock scrapes. Um, Cause we, we hunt, Um, not unlike terrain, you know, the hills here in Indiana are kind of similar to the hills out East and, um, they're a mock scrape seem to be a very useful way of getting uh deer on camera and killing them too. You know, so how how did you end up like, I guess, first of all, like what, what made you end up deciding to kind of start doing mock scrapes and how long you've been doing them now? I've always kind of done them
1: off and on and like, but I really got kind of serious the last couple of years into doing them especially like I, I started doing them
0: when i started hearing a podcast with uh troy pottinger doing them. yeah troy is a really big advocate of it um exactly. again another guy that hunts mountains you know that, mm-hmm. that big stuff that probably hard to get a trail cam picture of a deer sometimes you know
1: yeah and it, it seems it seems to be a really good thing to use in these big woods mm-hmm. you know With these lower, you got the lower deer densities or patterns are more like nomadic and stuff. So like a a scrape can be a a fantastic point for these deer, you know, you're not, you're not necessarily always hunting the most pressure deer even during the season. It's just, there's just so big and vast and how much they move and it's, it becomes like a really good focal point to pick up deer and take inventory and learn a lot about them.
0: I've kind of found the same thing around here, uh, the last couple of years. And, uh, what, what, I guess, what is your, how do you like, let's say you're in a, a system where you're going to put a mock scrape. Like, what do you, how do you go about making a mock scrape?
1: Well, I, I always, I always start off looking at terrain extensively in an area, you know, cause I got, I got really big sections. So like, I'm looking at how the terrain's going to flow buck travel and buck movement on how and how how the does are going to travel and everything i want to i want to find a place where all the terrain is going to flow these deer and make an intersection mm-hmm. you know so you'll, you'll be taking terrain features edge habitats you know swamp edges you got know, different hardwoods to pines stuff laurel thickets edges on laurels to hardwoods and i'm trying to find places where all that stuff Is going to come together, you know. And then from there, then I'll go into that location. And usually, a lot of times when you look, you probably already start to find old scrape activity and stuff like that. And a lot of times, if if there's already a scrape there and it's in the right location, I'm just going to take that scrape and doctor it up and start using it, you know. And then I, I start these things in the summertime, you know. I start them in like June June, July, August is when I usually want to start running these things.
0: And, and that's – do you find any benefit of, like, did you do any during the season or anything this year, or were you pretty much solely doing them this summer?
1: Yeah, I, I still do – I'll do them the whole year. I've been doing them the whole year. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, I the ones I started the earliest seem to be the ones that the biggest bucks have been picking up on the best okay. so far. It's like, I, 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 they, like, come through and they see all this activity before the hunting season. And then they kind of make, like, a mental note of it or something. And then they also they start returning back to it later on closer to the season, you know. Yeah. I, I, I think these bigger bucks, they get on excursions and stuff more often than people think they do in this bigger woods, you know. It's, I think there was a study they said, um, I think it was with the Pennsylvania deer study that, a mature buck will have like like 30 or 40 different beds you know? so like in, in these big wood sections if they got that many beds they're traveling you know they're moving oh, around have to be. you know so i think they they find these places and they they just make a mental note of, note of it in their head they're like wow there's a lot of deer in this area i'm gonna come back and check this again you know
0: yeah so. do you I, well, and maybe you don't have any experience with this. I have a little bit, but do you think the mock scrape thing, I mean, would you give it any thought in like farm country habitat? Um, I think it would probably kind of make sense anywhere you go. You
1: yeah. Know, as long as your deer going to be finding them, you know. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's really important to have them in the right places. That's one right. thing. I think people don't have good luck with it they're not putting it in the right spot i think that's what a lot of it is yeah, yeah. i would and agree I would agree. even you're going to be getting daylight photos on some of these yeah like you're you you might the, the best spot might be all nocturnal activity but that's it's a great starting point because you have something you know yeah, you get, some of these places you don't have any sign you right know, it's hard to find buck sign or anything so if you have a focal point where you can get these gear on camera, at least you got something to go off of, to go.
0: That's what I, I, so I have, you know, Indiana here, we have more of a mixture of ag than you guys do out East there. And it seems like, you know, all of our public <laughs> land for the most part is hill country, big hill country. And I have good success with mock scrapes in hill country, but then like I'll put one on a farm, you know, a farm I have or something. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's just mediocre at best. Like I, I just think, Maybe that, that terrain in the farm country is uh, already seducive to sign. And so it's, yep. it, I don't find them beneficial as much. Now, you can you can put a mock scrape up and you'll get some pictures. But now, it, it just seems like there's better ways of going about finding deer in those ter- in those features. Yeah. Whereas in gills, I'm big fan of them.
1: Now, now, have you ever tried using mock, like a... Like finding signpost rubs in a situation like that.
0: No, not signpost rubs. Mm -mm. Yeah, because
1: it might just be that the it's not the right terrain that's inducive to scraping. You know, like right. But if you if you know where places are where you get a lot of a lot of rubs that congregate in an area, you know that that might be something that's the same concept. It's just instead of using a scraper,
0: using a rub. That's something that I have never like. I mean, I, I'm not good at rubs. Like I, I obviously, I understand rubs in the, um, you know, reading rubs on how, you know, mature deer, not mature this or that, but like, I just don't put a lot of, uh, stock into them. Is that, is rubs something that you really pay attention to as far as hunting over them?
1: Absolutely. I, I use them a lot. And that's, that's one of the things like I, I really, you can really tell a lot what's going on with bucks when, when you get the rubs going. You can, it, it really helps you figure out what they are for one. Yeah. You can gauge, you can gauge antlers on rubs and stuff like that. But it's, it's not, you're not looking for, there's, there's so many different types of rubs and so many meanings for all these rubs that it's hard to, to, to decipher which ones you're actually looking at sometimes. So you got to kind of learn like what, what is going to be a signpost and what's not. So like, like a, a a good rub is kind of be set up more like a good scrape you know okay. it's going to be more like a hub kind of situation where all this terrain goes together that flows everything in and creates a, a natural travel form
0: yeah so you're you know? you're you're using the same theories as you would a like a scrape that's you know mm. in a good area where they are going to Possibly get there during daylight hours, and then there's a lot of terrain features that you like that come together. Um, yeah,
1: and if you take and build a scrape in an area near a signpost rub,
0: a lot of times you get a lot of nice deer. Yeah. They just kind of go ahead. Yeah. We, we just have such a lack of rubs here in Indiana just because our deer density numbers are low. And Yeah, um, and I have the same thing. Yeah, right.
1: thing like you, you don't see many rubs like some places where these big bucks live you won't find a rub bigger than a pencil yeah. yeah it's you're like you're like how is this buck even here there's no sign of him but it's actually that's the spot you want to be
0: right you know? i love talking to people on here because it just it gets my my wheels just completely keeps turning because it's so much stuff that a guy just figures out and learns um yeah. Now, like I go, I went and scouted Iowa a couple of years and holy cow. I just like, there's some areas where there was so much rubbing. I'm like, there's and you know, it's, it was the particular area I'm thinking in my head. There was a Creek that ran into a cornfield and then the Creek teed into a, um, a fence row. And right yeah. there where everything met, it was just tore up with rubs. Um, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, in Iowa, you got whoo, hard to tell how many mature buck lived in that square mile, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I was like, man, this this is a hot area for those reasons, and the yep. rubs were there to show you that. Whereas here, I don't I don't find that a, a, as much, but some I need to pay attention to more. Yeah, um, it, it's more
1: you just you got to find that historical rubs that that keep appearing. You know? Right, and that, that's it, kinda... it, it, and they don't get hit every year. Sometimes sometimes a big signpost won't get hit every year, hmm. but if you put a camera in front of it, you'd be surprised how many bucks walk past it
0: yeah just like a scrape a lot of times it's
1: like an intersection where they go through
0: yeah
1: right um the same the same thing with scrapes though how many deer go past that scrape that you never saw on the camera oh a bunch of them
0: yep what did uh me and uh, well i was talking to johnny stewart about this um you know he was telling me he thinks like if you get a buck on a camera twice a week he probably lives right there. You know, he's probably, you're probably in, in on him. Yeah. um, 100%. Even if you know, he's there at midnight. Yeah, right. Because, you know, yeah. you're probably only seeing him 5% of the time that he's in that area. Yeah. Um, with your camera.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's what we were, we were talking about the other day. I think I was, I was texting you about that. Mm-hmm. Like you, you get these big bucks on camera and they're coming in at midnight well what's not there at midnight every other deer yeah you you look at you look at your time frames when your deer come through and then like you get your your younger bucks and your does and your like three and a half year old bucks start showing up at certain times and then all of a sudden randomly in the middle of the night when everything calms down you get this big buck on camera yeah you know what what is he doing? He's he's living right there, but he ain't going over there until the other deer are moving out of the area, you know, because he just
0: doesn't want to deal with it. He's yeah, a naturally,
1: just reclusive
0: animal, you know. That's a good point. I mean, you can you can observe that behavior. Like across the road, I have there's a place that nobody hunts. Can't you're not allowed to hunt it. <clears> and uh, there's a green field out there, a wheat field out there, and there'll be, you know, there'll be a dozen deer out there tonight. There yep. was, and then. Without fail, right before dark, like in the opposite corner, there'll be a buck come out, yep. you know, and then it's the same thing. He lives in there. He's there. He's there, but he just kind of avoids the other deer, like, like the plague
1: yeah. almost. Yeah, That's it, 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 just like through habit at, with age, they just kind of learn.
0: Yeah. And we always, we think about that mentality in a field, in a cornfield or something, because we, you know, you can visually see that happening, mm-hmm. but it's happening everywhere they live. And Yeah.
1: Yeah, it makes you really think about when you're setting up, if you're setting up in the right places, you know, because we're all, we're all training ourselves to look for deer sign and find, find all these scrapes and these rubs and stuff. But is that really where you're going to kill the big buck, you know, or is that where he's going to show up well after dark? Right, right. You got to really think about like, do I have to go somewhere completely off the rocker here and not even see a deer? To see this buck and more times than not that's usually what happens to find them.
0: Yep. Happened to me uh the very first year I went and hunted Wisconsin, uh I shot a really nice a really nice buck. I mean it was like a hundred and, you know thirty five inch buck, but the Ooh. first two days I was there, I was seeing so many deer. I was seeing, you know, I'd see four or five dinks and a bunch of does and I and finally after like two sets, I'm like, I'm doing something wrong. Like what is like i've never seen this many deer and i kind of we kind of made adjustments and then i stopped seeing deer but then you know two sets later here comes a big one out yeah Um, so yeah you're right and that's that is thing it's it is super hard as a deer hunter that likes seeing deer you know people deer hunters like to watch deer it's hard to get get that out of your mind that like i need to be here because all the deer here (laughs) you feel
1: like you feel like you're doing something
0: wrong because you're not
1: seeing any deer but you might go you might go a week without seeing a deer, but once you finally see one, you see the buck that you're actually trying to shoot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, um, that's like the story of my life when I'm hunting. Usually it's like, I, I don't see a ton of deer. Yeah. L- while I, I don't see a ton of deer when I'm setting up, but eventually once I see
0: that deer, it's the right deer. Yeah. You know? I don't remember what year it was. I, it was like around like 2018 or 19. Um, I shot a i shot a decent buck here in indiana but i had like 10 sits in a row that i didn't see a deer and then on the 11th sit i saw him that's the only one deer i saw and shot him yeah. um and that's usually what happens when you shoot these older bucks especially yeah. when they're like four and a
1: half five and a
0: half six and a half and above that's it's usually you don't see them with other deer very often yeah but it's a good lesson like people people do get frustrated um, especially when you start hunting mobily or you know more of this type of mindset that you're talking about Paul because people people get frustrated with it and give up because they're not seeing deer or they think they're doing something wrong um and in reality like you're uh yeah you know you you're, you're dog right, dog. <laughs> right yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. yeah unless you're like uh I don't know Andy May or someone you just seem to shoot one every <laughs> every time you yeah. set up on one <laughs> Um, which
1: which is like, the, when I when I set up, I usually have a pretty high percentage of seeing the buck I'm looking. For. Yep. No, that's true. But like, I go many days without setting up. You know, I go a yeah. lot of days just kind of being passive, staying out of it, and then kind of like trying to get a grasp on what's going on without intruding too much to to interfere. And then when I feel like I know what's I know what's going on. Then I'll make my move and get in there. Yeah. You know, but I, I'll just kind of stay on the background and just kind of look at night sign and like, oh, look, looks like a, a big buck might have traveled from that direction out to out to this destination point in the middle of the night. You know, it's like yeah. okay, so he's probably over there, and then you go scout another area surrounding that spot, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, look, there's another run that looks like a big buck is using coming that way from the same direction. You know, and then you kind of you put all the pieces together and you're like, okay, that buck is probably coming from right here, you Yeah, know? And then, then you make a move and get in there,
0: you know? Do you, I mean, if you had to put into percentages or numbers, like how, how many sits do you sit a year versus like, do you spend, well, you, is it common for you to go out hunting somewhere and just end up scouting all evening? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs>
1: I walk around a lot. I do a lot, you know, during, during the season I'm not aggressive with my scouting I'm not like blasting through trying to get right on top of them but i'm I'm staying I'm staying well enough back though I, I don't feel like I'm interfering with what they might be betting in but'm I'm, I'm kind of poking around the edges kind of like okay are they coming out this way or are they coming out this side more right now you know because if, they, if they're using a certain betting area, you know, they they might only come out a certain direction based on certain food sources throughout the season. So, like, you think you got a you think you got a buck on camera, and he just stops coming out, and you think he's not there anymore, but in reality, he's just going 180 degrees out the other way.
0: Yeah. you know,
1: and he's going to some other oak flat or some other feature that he wants to go travel to. You know, but he's might he might actually be physically bedding in the same same location. He just you're just missing. him. You know, yeah. Which, like, if if you're gonna if you're gonna run cameras on a buck like that in a bedding area, you really kind of have to surround it. You know, you gotta yeah. you gotta run like you're running a trap line. You put a, a trap line around the perimeter on every trail that comes out. You know, and see what trail he's actually using. You know, and you don't you don't have to worry about using cell cameras or anything for that because it's coming out in dark. Yeah, it's coming coming the way out. Out, you're not even close to where he's actually laying. You're just getting your nighttime pictures. You know, I want I want to have pictures of him like an hour or two after dark
0: exiting. You know, mm-hmm. how far do you think? and know this is a horrible question, but like, how far do you think a deer will move an hour after dark? Like, if you get him a picture of him an hour and a half after uh, legal light, I mean, how far do you think he is from that area?
1: he could be a lot closer than you think he is yeah and a a lot of times i think that's often the case because they'll they'll come out and they'll start farting around and feeding and stuff and doing their thing and an hour goes by pretty quick
0: yeah i watched a uh and this is in kansas mind you so like i watched a buck this year um it was in the morning and it was probably like a 160 type deer but Mm -hmm. i watched him i was he was i was 100 yards from him and I watch him cover about, I would say, seventy yards. It took him an hour.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I've seen that many a times too, especially hunting in uh, September, when I'm hunting. I hunt a lot more open terrain, grassland, marshes in September, where I can yep. really see far. And like I could watch a buck working this little island out there, in the grass, feeding on acorns. For he doesn't even move. I, I he might he might not ever come out of there. He might, he might mingle around in that spot for days on end before he leaves it. Yeah. You
0: know? No, this now, now I saw him out in the field, an <clears throat> in a, in a CRP field, not a, not a, you know, it uh, had some cover in it, but he got into the woods. That was like a tornado went through the woods. So it was all layovers and he got inside that woods and just was in no hurry at all to go anywhere. I mean, he, he would, he would take maybe five steps and he just sat there and just slowly look around for a while. And, you know, maybe he may oh. chew on something for a minute, and then just look around, and then he would take another five steps. And I'm, and of course, I'm sitting there like watching this this big 160. Like, come on, dude, do something! <laughs> yeah, it's like, all right, I better.
1: There's nothing you can do. He ain't coming.
0: No, no, I grunted at him, start wheeze, every every trick in the book, just because he was going the other way, and yeah. uh, he didn't even didn't even like flinch about it. I mean, you know, uh, some deer would like. <laughs> you would snort wheeze at him and they'd be like, you know, and he was just like, he heard me and he, you could see him like kind of lift his head up. And he just was like, he's like, I mean, just he's just, like he, he knew like, I ain't moving this big giant rack around. Um, yeah. He's like, I know what the deal is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I wasn't going to shoot that deer, but anyway, um, mock scrapes, let's get back on that, that topic. So do you just tell me, tell, tell me like, and you don't have to tell me, but, what do you use how do you go about making them do you pay attention to scent do you wear rubber gloves like what is your i guess what's your your um, philosophy
1: I, I don't believe in in scent control at all right I don't think it works I just don't think so I don't do anything I just accept the fact that the deer are going to smell my scent and that's great no matter what I do right you know? so I don't I don't go crazy with a stick or anything I go right in there with my boot and I kick the whole thing right out make it gotcha. look real nice and get the branches all bent down the way they're supposed to look, you know, and then I'll I'll put I'll put some pre orbital spray from whoever makes it. Yeah. Random companies. You know, I don't I don't really follow any scent companies or nothing. I just spray it on there and then I'll put some tarsal tarsal gland scent in the uh in the scrape and call it good, you know. And then the the trick is you just back out and let, let the animals go in there and start farting with it. Yeah. You know? Cause every time an animal walks in there and they make a scent trail into it and like you'll, you'll get, you'll get a lot of curious does and stuff coming into that thing right away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know? And I think that preorbital scent, it's like, it's synthetic. It smells like cologne and vanilla extract.
0: almost. Right. You know?
1: Right. You now. So it's, I think it's more of an attractant than it actually is anything that's creating any kind of real response on, a scent that the deer would familiarize with an actual deer. Yeah. You know? So I think it's just, it, it's an attracting, you know, and they smell it and then they get their feet in it and then they, they'll urinate in it and they'll start licking the branches. And then the next deer comes in and be like, well, I smell all weird stuff, but another deer was in here smelling these branches too, you know? So, yeah. And they kind of go off of it, you
0: know? Yeah. You ever just you know? pee in them yourself? Oh yeah, I
1: I've, I've done that. You got to watch to make sure there's not another trail camera on it when you do right. that.
0: You... <laughs> yep. Um, no, I just was curious. I mean, some people swear by that. You know, some people swear by just uh they don't use anything but their own yeah. urine.
1: But some people throw ammonia in it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've because, seen
1: that uh, too. Urine breaks down into ammonia. Yep. So. Well, that makes sense to me then.
0: Yeah. A, a gallon of ammonia is
1: a lot cheaper.
0: As I was gonna say a gallon of ammonia from Walmart's a lot cheaper than uh your synthetic spray. $4? Yeah,
1: four dollars.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Gallon? That's a lot of scrapes.
0: Yeah. Some of them uh some of those uh sprays will cost you four hundred dollars a gallon for, <laughs> for yeah. the spray. Um but yeah, there's there's a lot of options for that stuff out there uh and now. I,
1: I used to I used to make my own spray. Like tarsal scent and everything back in the day, <clears throat> you know. But now, now with the the CWD laws, I can't do that in my state, yeah. so I can't be be using actual deer products in my scrape. So I just went to using synthetic stuff and whatever. Yeah. But like yeah. back in the day, I used to take tarsal glands and I soak them in a. I, I pack them in a mason jar and I dump hot water on top of them. And then you'd cap it off and you shake the jar up and it would like turn, it would take all that stain off the hocks mm-hmm. and put it into the water. And then I would take that water and just the water in the jar and just dump the water into the scrape and put that all in there. And that worked fantastic. I mean, that was, yeah. that was the best way I could do it, but can't do it anymore. So I can't do it that way. But Yeah. You, you just got to give it more time. You know, like when I used to do it that way, I would, the time period between when I could start to scrape and when I would get a lot of deer really getting into
0: it was a lot shorter.
1: Hmm.
0: You know, that's interesting. They like that smell a lot better, you know. Yep. What well, about that stuff went rancid after a year or so?
1: Yeah, well, that that's, I kept the, I would get all the tarsals and I'd cut them off. I go down to my butcher yeah. and I go in there and he let me just cut as many as I want off the deer. Yeah, he don't so want them. i cut, cut all the hocks off, everything. And then I'd put them in a big freezer bag and freeze them, you know. And I'd keep them all in the freezer frozen. And then whenever I needed to make a scrape, i just take a handful out, put bucks and doughs, complete mixture, pack them in a jar and dump them, you know. You know and that, that was fantastic. That worked for I – I
0: did that for years,
1: and it worked great. But yeah,
0: can't do it no more. Right. Yep yeah
1: yeah but i i think the synthetic stuff works just as good yeah i don't really it just you just got to give it a little bit more time
0: you know right yeah it's a it's a super good tool and i'm i'm still like trying to figure out you know the best method for for me to 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 use it but i've definitely um you know the last couple years have kind of zoned in on those things and they've they're pretty effective, especially just you want to get, you know, pictures of of a deer. Um the, I'm not big, you get to, get to kill one over a mock scrape, but I killed I killed the one buck this year over it. So nice. But
1: but the, the problem with the mock scrapes is it also is a very good attractant
0: for people. Yeah, I know. So that's that can be a problem. So like, this listen to this. This year in Indiana we had a camera. We, we have, I have a group of buddies that we all kind of share information, <coughs> cameras and stuff around here. And, uh, he made a mock scrape and hang, hung a camera. Now he hung it high and he has it on a bracket that, you know, hides it a little bit this and that. But like any self-aware person would see this camera that's eight feet off the ground right there over this scrape. You know, this guy mm-hmm. came to this scrape, took a rake, raked it out for, uh, like later on the year, raked it out and then poured some synthetic stuff into the already mock scrape and then hung a camera over it. Mm-hmm. And this whole time we're getting like pictures of this guy doing this and it's just like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's funny. You're right though. They do attract people.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's why I don't really go too crazy with them too yeah. close so. to where I think a buck is actually living.
0: That's a good tip.
1: Cause, cause you're going to be trapped trapping him for somebody else
0: that's a really really good tip because people do get i mean not that not that mock scrapes are a gimmick by any stretch of the imagination i don't think they are but people get into these things like they're like the end-all be-all and they put yeah, one true. everywhere you know at every stand location and you're right man it's like a it is a can be a detriment to you uh yeah. if you put them in certain spots that you don't want people to know about yep
1: yep and that's um, the the good thing is a lot of times when you find a big buck, he doesn't have a lot of sign around where he is anyway. You know? Yeah. I, I've seen that more often than not, like the old big bucks. Like not just like a mature buck, the the buck.
0: hmm He won't have any sign around where he's living. Yeah. Do you think yep. you can screw him up by putting something close to him like that? I don't
1: necessarily think it's going to screw them up. If anything, it might piss them off. Yeah, you know, it can be it can be good, but you don't want to get caught doing it.
0: Yeah, you know, Right.
1: you don't. Have, if somebody else finds it, then you just you just put a a big sign up for everybody else to know where that deer is
0: too. Yeah, yeah, that's a good good point. And like, I'm, I mean, I'm probably I'm probably good enough. Like I, I'm in the woods enough to know when it's like, a you know, you can usually tell if it's a mock scrape or especially if someone that doesn't really know what they're doing makes one maybe. Um, but for an average guy, just walking through the woods, they're just going to think like, Oh, you know, look at all this sign right here. I'm going to sit here. So yeah. Um, anyway, no, that's, that's good stuff. The, that mock scrape topic has been a hot one the last couple of years. And, um, that's a, one thing
1: I'll do is when I do make one, I, I will take zip ties and zip tie extra branches onto the scrape mm-hmm. on purpose and not so, like, somebody walks up to it, they can physically see there's zip ties on that branch. Yeah. I want them to know right off the bat that this ain't from deer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Get out of here. Even though I got, I probably have a lot of good deer on it, you know, but I want them to go, oh man, somebody else is, somebody built a mock scrape. Yeah. I, I don't want them to. I think it's natural
0: yeah yeah you do do you freshen up scrapes with it a lot or do you just let it be like do you you know you know what i'm talking about like if I, you I have a scrape that's already active will you yeah yeah yeah
1: if if, if if i check the scrape and there's a ton of deer on it well i don't have to touch it yeah i don't even walk near it at that point i just leave it alone yeah yep
0: yeah. All right. Let's That's what's on. nice about starting it early. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. We, we've we had luck with starting them even like in the late winter. Like we'll get one going and, mm-hmm. and you'll keep using it or, you know, at least uh, uh, acknowledge that it's there. And then come the the fall, they'll, they'll end up uh, using it. And I've even yeah. seen where we, we start a, we start a mock scrape somewhere in these hills where there was not very much, you know, scraping going on.
1: Mm-hmm. And then the
0: next year it's like, they they open up a whole bunch more around it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've seen that before or not. Yeah.
1: But. yeah. If I if I see a spot even during the season and I go, wow, this would be a phenomenal spot for a mock scrape. I'm going to mark it and I'm going to start the scrape right then, there and then.
0: Mm-hmm. Even
1: if I don't have scent with me, I'm going to kick the dirt out and make the scrape. You know, I can do what I can do to make s- at least a visual point, you know, and then I'll when I get t- when I get a chance and I come back through, I'll put some scent in it or something. Yeah, get it going.
0: Yeah, yeah. A lot of people just do that method where they they actually just open the thing up and and make the visual and then let the, you know, yep. the next uh, the next fawn or whatever is going to come by and get interested in it, put some scent in it, and then yeah. get it going. Yeah,
1: because they they smell that fresh earth. Yeah,
0: you know, they smell that dirt getting tilled up, and they smell that. Yeah. Okay. I want to, we've already been talking for 35 minutes, but <laughs> these things go so fast. I want to talk about gear with you a little bit, man. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what'd you, you, uh, what'd you use this year? You pretty much hunted out of a saddle all year, didn't you? Yeah, I was hunting out
1: of my saddle mostly. Yeah. Up until like the last week. And I, I went back onto my true stand for a while. Cause I'm just getting saddle sore.
0: <laughs> yeah, I get it. I'm taking my, B, I'm taking my B stand, uh, this trip. I'm, I'm probably going to be setting most of the day and, um, going to have, well, I was planning on having heavy clothes. It's going to be fairly warm this weekend, but, yeah. um, and that's another
1: issue with the saddles. I always found too, it was like late season when you're
0: really wearing a lot of
1: layers and stuff, they can be a kind of a, a pain in the butt. Like
0: that. Yeah. I completely, uh, agree with you there. Um, I, uh, a lot of guys seem like they're doing that hybrid style now where they, you know, setting those little itty bitty stands uh, with, with a saddle. And that's probably a good, good method of going about it. But to me, it's just, there's not the perfect uh, hybrid stand out yet. So yeah. um, my,
1: my problem with, with it is I'm, I can't use a little stand to begin with. I'm too big for it. <laughs> yeah, True. I get this big dead spot when I draw my bow straight ahead of me.
0: Yeah. And it's
1: regular tree Stand. Unless unless a, unless I'm in a full full length platform, I can't get my elbow out of the, out, yeah,
0: out of the yeah. yeah, I didn't I didn't think about that. But, but uh, you you uh you made your own climbing sticks, right?
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: So what what made you do that? Like obviously, there's all kinds of stuff on the market. Or did you just see like a something that you didn't like about all of them? Made your own? Or
1: well, um... when I made them, there wasn't any on the market. Yeah, true. Because <laughs> no. I, I I actually still hunt out of an old Arrow Hunter Kestrel saddle. Yeah, I bought that old Kestrel saddle. I never changed, but when they made that saddle, they didn't even make a platform yet. Right. Yeah. You know? So like. If you wanted the saddle hunt, you got to figure out what to do, because all you got is a saddle, you know. So right, I, Well, I got to make sticks. Like I, I'm like, I don't like any of the stuff that they make for sticks. You know, so I was like, I'm gonna just make my own. You know, so I, I made big twenty-four inch long double steps. You know? Yeah, because everybody's got these little compact sticks today. I'm like, I'm like, that's like these tiny little sticks that i'm, I'm not going to carry um, uh, half a dozen
0: sticks to get up the tree <laughs> yeah 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 especially with you being a big guy like you can handle a uh yeah. longer stride but you also do you weld aluminum for a living right
1: yeah so, yeah my but... my sticks weigh as white as any of the top end ones on the market
0: yeah you know? what'd yeah, you anyway. make them out of are they just made out of like Aluminum tubing, or what do they made yeah, of? Yeah, it's all, all
1: aluminum tubing, and then there's there's no bolts on them because they're all welded together. Yeah, so I don't have any fasteners or anything. It's all just one big solid stick.
0: Yeah, which is kind of like the beast. The beast when Dan made the Beast sticks, that was his concept. He didn't want any moving parts. So they, he wanted them all, um, yeah. solid. Yeah, my, which, mine are very
1: similar to his.
0: Yeah, he actually. I
1: think he actually was building his sticks around the same time I was building my sticks on the forums. Yeah, like I, we probably both kind of got ideas off each other at some
0: point. Who you knows? So, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yours, yours are unique. <coughs> you're, you're a lot different looking than his, though. I mean, they're same yeah. concept, but like, um, it's not like you either one of you really bummed the idea off of one another. It was a. Uh, yours are yours are cool we looking put- though, like interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we just all, everybody
1: wanted, like, it was like, okay, we want, you want a a double step, you know, that's going to be something that's going to be nice. Yeah. So I like that the most, you know, but instead of having uh, a long standoff on mine, I bent my steps. So my steps are bent on a, on an angle Mm -hmm. going out. So when you step on them, you step kind of pigeon toed on the tree. your heels together on the stick and i I found that was like the best way to do it for the way i was setting up because then you don't ever have to worry about putting your toes on the end of the stick you got a good hard plant you know and then you're nice and tight with your lineman's belt when you're climbing
0: yeah yeah they're super interesting and i have like this uh i don't know i think homemade things are cool like i would love to make my own sticks and just use them and not have to worry about this or that you know yeah because um, I, mean, I, I got the
1: the 24 inch stick and then I have a 20 26 inch cable later on top of that you know so I'm I'm already like a like beyond the length of a three-step stick you know yeah with the cables out so i I only need to carry two sticks in the woods for most of this stuff I do yeah can you I think Two sticks to a platform gets me like 17 feet right around there.
0: Yeah. That is a, uh, that is something that it's hard for manufacturers to like optimize some of their stuff because of the stupid safety mm-hmm. rules they have to follow too, you know? Yeah. Um, not that I'm, yeah. Mean, I wish a- they make a
1: longer stick available, you know? Yeah. For a tall guy, it'd totally, totally be useful.
0: Yeah. You know? For sure. I don't, yeah. It's, it's one of those deals where, um, yeah I think the legally or whatever for insurance purposes they had to have them eighteen inches or less yeah. something like that so that that's why Dan quit making his long one because he did have like a twenty one
1: yeah injury. I remember he did
0: he have he had a longer one too yeah and they had to quit making them yep um I don't know if they had to, but they were advised to or whatever the case may be you know what one
1: thing I think is a lot safer about using a long stick is it doesn't t- tend to want to kick out as bad, yeah, I could see that. You know? You don't get as many kickout issues with them, especially if you're on like really weird trees and stuff. The longer sticks, it's a lot, lot more surface area to hold them in place.
0: Yeah. What uh, attachment method do you use? With I I, you know? I
1: use uh, I use winch cable. That's what I'm using. It's a okay. cams basically. It's just synthetic winch cable for like an ATV. Yeah. So hmm. yeah, I think it's like. 1800 pound braking strength or something right so it ain't going
0: nowhere and you do just like a do you have a button or a, some kind of tie thing or how do you i i i work in uh the dock industry so we
1: use cleats on all the boat boat slips and stuff like a boat cleat so yeah. I basically i designed a, a, an aluminum cleat that that works like a book cleat so you throw your you throw your rope on there and you just. Like you do a, a boat cleat, like you're tying then, off the boat. Yep, and then you just throw a, a security knot in there, and you're done. It takes probably ten seconds to tie off. No, that's a good idea. All right, it you do, you could wrap up one of my sticks and put it away, or have it back out in probably thirty seconds.
0: Yeah,
1: real real quick process.
0: That's sweet. Then you, uh, you're you're a saddle platform guy, but your saddle's modified too. It's like a Frankenstein, or your platform's like a Frankenstein yeah. looking thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: oh, you don't use knee pads or, uh, or a, a pad. No, I,
1: I it's built in. Yeah. So I had to yep. actually have a, a bar built into the platform, so you put your knees right up, up to the bar.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's unique. Is-
1: yeah, what's nice about it is if I get into a really crooked tree, you know, I I don't have to worry about where I put my knees on a tree. It's always the same because it's going right against that that T-bar built into the saddle post.
0: Yeah, it's going to it's going to stay perpendicular to wherever that bracket is.
1: Yeah, um, it's consistent and so no matter what tree you get into, you're always hanging identically. You know, yeah. the only thing you got to adjust is where you put the tether on the tree for the angle of
0: the tree. You know, someone needs to hire you, uh, Paul, to be a uh, hunting equipment engineer. <laughs> yep. No, it, it's uh, you guys. If, if you dig around on Paul's uh, Facebook or something, you guys can find his all his kind of inventions he has. You, if you, you snoop around enough, you'll find the saddle platform in a picture, or this or that, or his his sticks. Um, always so, doing
1: something if it's yeah. not that
0: I'm buying trailers yeah uh, dude i just today i made i uh, i've been working on my cargo trailer again i got i got a vent to go. put in the i put a vent in the top you know just to mm-hmm. let heat out or whatever so i got that done today got yeah. getting back on the kick i've been I, thinking about nothing but deer hunting the last several months so now i got a, i'm starting to do projects again
1: i, I tell you i'm pretty excited
0: on mine now after ohio that worked Fantastic! Yeah, man, it's great out I, there. with the- I uh I do I love that kind of stuff too. <laughs> I, I I was videoing it, uh you know, and I was I just like thinking to myself like I enjoy tinkering with that kind of stuff, and I'm like, yeah. you know, I'm I'm glad I'm poor. Like if I was if I was rich, I would have probably went and bought some fancy camper. But here I am, like enjoying making my own. You know, yeah, but- which is better because.
1: There's nothing you could buy on a, a regular camper that's going to be hundred percent what you need no. for for deer hunting, you know. No. And you're going to be covering the thing in mud and dirt and blood and guts
0: all the time. And they're built like yeah. crap anyway. Yeah, you know, they're not any better than what you'd you'd be building. Probably, probably what we did is better. You know, at least yeah. I know where all the wiring is and how it all works. And I because I put it all together, you know. Yeah. So I know exactly how to fix all of it.
1: Yeah. Uh, I yeah. I purposely didn't put anything underneath anything. It's all, it, all my wires and extension cords.
0: Me too. That's what I did, and I and dude, I made a video about just like a little, little walkthrough of it, and I got so much hate for putting that wire on the outside of the walls, and yeah. I'm like,
1: oh, it's the best.
0: I know. I was like, dude, I can work on, I can add lights, I can do anything I want. I don't have to take my walls down. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I did yeah, the same thing. Fill oh, the walls with insulation, you. insulation. You're good to go. Yep, that's what I did. Yeah. One inch uh, foam board. Put yep. the walls up. Yeah. the only thing i wanted i'm thinking about doing I haven't decided yet but i'm thinking about if i'm going to put a wood stove in it or i don't know
1: i think the wood stove is the way to go
0: yeah that's it Where gets you,
1: hot you gotta make you gotta oh, be able to
0: yeah they got that vent now um what I,
1: uh, I, I actually cracked the whole back door to vent the thing
0: yeah because it got too hot it's like a park in it, there oh it's hot but yeah you want eat, it's there <laughs> you know, it, How long it blows
1: out and everything?
0: How long does it last? Like a, of course, Paul made his own wood stove. He welded yeah. up his own. But yeah,
1: yeah and it's just like it's like a the size of a wood stove you would use in like a wall tent. Yeah, you know, just a little itty bitty wood stove. You could actually buy them off of a uh, like Sportsman's Guide and stuff like that. They, yeah, you could buy for like eighty bucks to buy them.
0: Yeah, but, little ones. I I'd have, probably
1: spend eighty dollars making one.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's pretty cool though. The one you made, okay. you only got, there's only one like it. Yep. Uh, I think that's why I'm weird like that. Like I'm, if I had a choice, like, you know, I have ran through my mind a hundred times to go down to the local CNC shop in town here and like ask them if they could make me like my own little uh, saddle platform and stuff that I have in my mind, you know, I just think yeah. that stuff's cool like doing your own thing. And, um, I don't know. That's why I think that's why I'm so drawn to uh, traditional archery sometimes because, like you know, this guy, like my the bowyer down the road, Scott. You know, he made this and there's only one like this, and it's mine. You know, it's cool. And uh, I don't know. I think that stuff's cool. I think there's a lot to be said about doing stuff on your own and and building something with your hands. That's an art that is slowly trickling away. Yeah, that's
1: it. I I bought a lot of new clothing and stuff over the years, but. I'll be running that forever now.
0: Yeah. You
1: know? You know, once once I find something
0: that works, I don't switch it too often. No. Well, I think there's so much marketing in involved in hunting now that uh, we lose a little we lose sight of what is important for deer hunters. You know, sometimes. <laughs> and,
1: and and if anything, I think it handicaps us at some points. You know, because you get this new piece of gear and you never fully get adjusted to what you had and you're never on 100% efficient with your gear you're using and yeah. you never so you never you never all the way on your game with wh- whatever you got
0: yeah yeah that was i mean i i uh, you know thankfully i did not run into problems this year but i was <clears throat> extremely worried about that running a saddle this year i mean i was to the point where i was paranoid which maybe that's why i didn't make any mistakes but like i was i was scared to death i was not i was not going to get a shot on my weak side or you know i was like constantly thinking through those scenarios because i'm like i don't want to miss a deer because i'm sitting in this stupid saddle you know yeah. um just yeah. again just a change in gear that i'm not used to now i'm used to it now and i feel confident but at, at the beginning i was like man yeah. i don't know or, this is the or
1: or something just causes you to clank two things together and make a little noise and that that ruins your whole night
0: yeah but like, yeah i'm not i'm not convinced I'm not convinced that it, uh, didn't ruin my Wisconsin hunt, uh, early season. My, my side, that was the first year I first hunt I took it on. And <laughs> I had a, um, what do they call them? The conduct, I think it's, what's it's called the yeah. cinders. And you know, that that's metal on metal. And I didn't know at the time, you know, that it was going to make so much freaking noise. Um, but it was the, mm-hmm. the carabiner that goes through. It was making a little noise on me sometimes. And I, every time I'd hear that noise, I'd just be like, gosh you know i about took the stupid thing off and just tied myself to the tree because i was so i'm like i was so worried that i was going to move and that happened no, um, I'm, I'm like
1: really critical
0: on things like that yeah or like
1: like even like on your tree stand like going through brush if you hear branches smacking your aluminum and making noise on the back on your back you got to do something you got to put change something up put something on there to stop that from happening yeah because you can't a branch swinging back and hitting me in the stand yep. you know and that deer could that deer if it hits it right in the right time with the no wind or something that deer could hear you two 300 yards away
0: you know yeah yep yep and you get um i don't know what the right word is but like anytime <laughs> you change something sticks stand saddle platform saddle like there is a when you use a piece of gear for a long time it becomes one with you and, like, you understand, like, I can, you know, I, I'm not going to hit it here. I'm not going to hit it there. You know, this this will make noise. This won't make noise. And you lose that whenever you change something up, man.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can, I could like, run through the woods like a, a buck with antlers. With yeah. And my back cause I know where my stand is oriented. You know, I know where everything's hitting. So, I, I, like, I'll just. Yep. You, you don't even know you're doing it. Just a reflex yep. to get through something.
0: Yep. Yeah. You you run what kind of pack do you run, Paul? Your pack kind of looks unique too. Yeah, I'm. I it's actually a a bottom section
1: of an old Peak One frame pack from the 1980s. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's really nice though. It's all it's a it's a fairly large fanny pack.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: And then it's got a it's it's all fleece, and it has it has a waterproof liner on. It. it's got a fleece outside so it's what's really nice about that is it doesn't make any noise right and then the the even the even the old hunting straps from back in the day they made the straps out of a softer material that doesn't scratch when it hits branches and stuff yeah i I feel like a lot of these a lot of this gear you see today kind of forgot about some of that stuff yeah it's unfortunate that it's we don't have those options sometimes because
0: and maybe i'm wrong here but it seems like the hunting industry moves from west to east like it seems mm-hmm. like we people develop things for western hunters like these packs yeah. that are noisy yeah. uh, because they're just they're hauling crap around you know and then they i don't know yeah. whatever
1: it's a lot of open terrain out there
0: yeah. And, and maybe the animals that they're hunting is not as sensitive to that kind of thing, you know, that yeah. we as whitetail hunters deal with, but then that technology like moves into the whitetail world out East. Yeah. And then we're like, then we have to figure it all out again. And, and I don't know. Yeah. it's well, funny. I think what a,
1: what a lot of the big issue is with the Western stuff is, you know, you can see the game out there well before you get in range. Right. A lot. Of time, you know? So like, okay, yeah, I'll just throw my pack down and finish my stalk. And get in close to these deer you know or i know they're there so i know i got to be extra careful and quiet you know but as a as a whitetail hunter and hunting in forests and swamps and we don't have that option we don't know where those deer are until they're right on top of us yeah yeah you know? so our our gear has to be quieter from the get-go in order to do the same task
0: now that that old pack does it have like a you said it's a frame is it a frame pack like it's a fanny though
1: yeah it, i i took the bags off of the the frame
0: gotcha I, I,
1: so i just used the the, the frame and the, the straps and stuff for my true stand yeah and the, the waist belt and everything i took everything and i just kind of gutted the frame and put it on my true stand
0: gotcha so that the so that the fanny's actually on the or do you not have like a fanny pack it's, at all anymore
1: the the fanny pack just holds my gear and it just gets bungeed down to the to the gotcha. stand up. That makes sense. Yeah. It's just um, just big enough you can roll jack it up and cinch it down with it. And, right. You know. Right. It's nice to have that too. So if I want to leave my set in the woods and come back in the morning, I could just put the fanny pack on, and wear that out without yeah. all my gear, not have to carry the, the stand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I could tell the pack was different or old. I just was. Uh, I was curious what it was. That stuff always yeah. interests me. Yeah, no,
1: nothing fancy. It's just a big old tube with the big zipper on it. Yeah. You know? I I don't want I don't want to have all these eight thousand pockets with Velcro and buttons.
0: Yeah.
1: Too complicated. I just want something I can just throw a bunch of stuff in, pack it down, and close it.
0: Yep. You know? And then I'm you with- take you
1: take the waist belt and you go right up around the tree and you clip the waist belt around the tree and cinch it down and all your gear sits right there in front of you.
0: Yep there is a, well, Rendell's on right now. He, uh, we've met him. We've kind of been, uh, talking to him about that. Like there is a lack of good fanny packs on the market right now for deer hunters. Um, in my opinion, I like, I like a fanny pack too. Like I, I don't, I carry a, this year I carried a pack, um, because of, I went to that saddle, you know, system. So I kind of had strapped things on those and, um, Which my my platform's different than yours. Obviously, yours is a custom Frankenstein one there. So, um, anyway, yeah, I, I ran a pack all year, but I'd love to have a good fanny pack. Um, anyway, let's see if there's any questions. Real quick, Paul, oh, I think there. I think I saw a couple. I wanted to make sure we got to questions tonight because the last couple episodes I've skipped questions just for the sake of time. Oh, here we go. Slugworth asked. This is an interesting topic. He said, I've heard talk about DNR banning, cam- banning cams on public land in Wisconsin next year. Thoughts? I personally don't mind. That'd be interesting.
1: I'll, I'll deal with it. I don't really know yeah. Wisconsin. If they did it around me. So be it. Know, so be it.
0: That's my attitude towards them, too. I'd be like, well, save a lot of battery money. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I didn't i didn't need them to kill big bucks before
0: I just, it's just nice to have them you know right yeah it's it's a very um efficient tool it's a good tool to yeah. figure out what you need to do next yeah and it, the
1: cell cameras can be really tricky anymore yeah it's, you know i think they just they it just promotes extra pressure on areas that you don't yeah. necessarily want
0: i think that's what uh i think that's what I, I can't remember. I was talking to someone in Kansas or my, one of my buddies was talking to someone in Kansas. I can't remember how it was. It was a while back ago now, but they, we kind of brought up that the question about why did they ban them there? And um, I guess it was the, what you just said, they just felt like there was getting, there's getting too much, um, too, pre, too much pressure on the animals on public yeah. land.
1: So. Well, and that's like, I see it. I always saw it when I, if I'm hunting in an area, and I, I see a big buck moves into the area and I know there's a lot of cell cameras in the area. All of a sudden that weekend, all these trucks show up Yeah, that, that haven't been in there the whole year. And now all of a sudden now, now there's five or six different guys hunting the same buck. Yeah. It's like, it's, it happens too often to be coincidence anymore,
0: you know? Yeah. It,
1: I, I've started, i am starting to focus on places that don't have self-service just to haunt so i can avoid don't have to deal area. with it because if, if i don't have cell service in there i don't see any cell cameras and it, it doesn't seem to be as big of a deal yeah you
0: know, i can just do my thing and hunt yeah and they they do keep getting more affordable and cheaper and like you could almost buy a cell camera as cheap as a regular card camera and um heck i've heard i've heard some you know guys from exodus uh Jake tell me he he could see a day when you just you get the camera for free. If you subscribe to their, you know, their data plan mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be, you know, it's like, gosh, man, if that was the case, that'd be a mess. You know, yeah. um, all right. Rendell had a really good question for us. He says in Hill Country, do you tend to notice any trends in your mock scrapes placement that correlates with certain elevation? Like most of your yours end up on tops on bottoms, wind funnels, et cetera. My my
1: my terrain that I'm hunting is not just a normal hills. I'm more of like a expanded mountain, mountainous kind of terrain. Yeah. So it's like it, it doesn't re- it, it doesn't really matter as much in like eastern northeastern style mountainous terrain like elevation. They, it's just the terrain points Focuses it in and makes, makes the scrape, you know, but like it, when I go to Ohio, I definitely see like trends on certain features that are going to be more advanced. You'll, like you'll, you'll find more scrapes down in the bottom where like you get like a turkey foot or something. Going yeah. Down, you know, or you will up on top or the more like a closer to like a saddle on a ridge or something like that, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, he Randall kind of elaborated later on in the comments. He says, I'm looking more f- for his percentages of uh, the elevation he ends up choosing based on what the most bucks tend to do. So he's just wondering, like, you know, where percentage-wise do you usually end up putting more? I, I tend to put them in the bottoms is where I would say, like, like the majority of mine are. I, I run them in both,
1: you know, depending on if I have top access or bottom access, you know, because – I, I don't necessarily hunt off the the scrape as much as i'm seeing what's in there you know so like, i just want to have that that mock scrape in a location where it's awesome you know yeah yep but even natural scrapes is the same kind of you know i i don't think they're i think it just kind of it's more important on the habitat around it right right the terrain, the terrain that creates it
0: um robert we kind of answered this but um paul do you use a saddle or stand i'm gonna modify his question why do you why do you choose a saddle over a stand paul
1: i like the saddle for uh the the shooting options i i do kind of like it for that you know and it, i i feel it's comfortable and it, it Weight wise, it—I don't think it matters anymore. There's so many advantages to a stand or saddle today. With weight, it's there, there's no difference. You know, what what do you got—a pound difference if you're yeah, unless you're like using like a super ultralight system, which I'm not really a big fan of a small platform or anything like that. I I rather have a bigger platform saddle platform and stuff because I I want to have maneuverability and. As many shooting options as possible, you know, because if if the if the, if there's anything that can hinder me in getting a shot off on a deer, I don't want it, you know. Yeah, I don't want some kind of handicap like oh, like like weak side shots on a smaller platform are a lot harder to produce than like on a large platform, you know. You know, so I'll, I'll use a large platform, and like, I can just stand up and stand on the platform and turn and shoot like a tree stand when it's coming in that way. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to like, practice this fancy leaning maneuver kind of thing.
0: Yeah. That, that was what was stressing me out about the saddle this year. Um, So I, I maybe I need to go. Like
1: a hybridized version is the best. I think something like hybrid.
0: Yep. Yep. I think I agree with you there. I I think I, yeah, I'm going to, do a little investigating this off season and stuff and try to get maybe a bigger little bigger platform. Yeah. Um have you ever messed with uh like ring of steps around trees or anything like that or on the back side of your,
1: your uh, the first the first year I had a saddle I did because that was that was it and that's all you had.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: everybody was using Leso's uh Ameri, steps.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. And you yeah, had the ring of
1: steps with the Ameris steps back in the day. And everybody was like going on eBay trying to find them because they, oh, they, they weren't made and, yeah.
0: yeah they weren't made anymore I remember that I made a, my first saddle platform I made it out of a, a lone wolf uh, seat yep yep I just remember making it and my dad was been like he's like <clears throat> you need to be careful here bud <laughs> I remember him being really concerned about what I was doing because I was using this you remember the old saddle sit drags yep Remember, people were making them out of that. I made me out uh, my own saddle. Yeah, I was using that, and then I had a homemade deal. My dad was just like, you know, I think he was seeing a little yes. bit of him when he was young, <laughs> making all of his own crap because I couldn't back then. I couldn't afford anything, you know. I was just a kid. Yeah, uh,
1: what was it? Uh, dryad.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: They're very similar to a sit drag style. Yep.
0: Yep. Yep. You yeah. Know? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, back that available oh, <laughs> too yeah it's insane how many like in the last five years what has happened to that saddle market holy cow I mean there was nothing I mean you had to the very first one I think I ended up getting that was a manufactured one it was a I think it was a trophy line but it had that it was made by uh it had like a real tree road trips logo on it mm-hmm. um I don't know I don't know I don't even know what I did with that thing I must have sold it or something but it was yeah. you know an old one <laughs>
1: but uh what was i gonna say the, the ring of steps though I, yeah. I don't use it anymore you know it just it it wasn't working out for me because sure you could walk around the tree and shoot but it's hard to walk around the tree when you got a bunch of deer standing there sometimes that's what i what i've always, been,
0: you know, I've always I been a little confused on how that
1: platform where you could just kind of
0: yeah just like a tree stand just like a tree stand exactly yep <clears throat> oh man, let's see here. I've, I've tried the saddle platform as well, or the ring of steps as well. I still have uh, one, but um, let's see here. Yeah, guys, this is just our opinions. If you like stand better, that's what I would use. We're yeah, not trying to talk about like anything. Yeah. yeah, sorry, there were just some people. That's, there was a guy saying that that's just your opinion. Like, yeah, that yeah, that no, is. <laughs> like, I don't care. I didn't. I used. <laughs> I would have told you. I would have told you last year that I liked my stand better, you know, and I still may, I don't know yet, you know, but.
1: I hunted all last year with a tree stand. Yeah. I didn't use my saddle until, until late season last year.
0: Yeah.
1: This year I flip flopped it around.
0: (laughs) Yep. I think it's just, it's just whatever you figure out and what you're comfortable with, man. Like Paul, like you said earlier, Paul, everything is kind of equal now. Like um, it's just, it's what you prefer. Yeah, no, it's all not, personal. You're not getting a huge advantage one way or the uh, the the other.
1: No. Yeah, wh- whatever makes you the most efficient is what you want to use. Yeah, know? and then find that piece of gear and stick with it.
0: Gotcha. Sorry, DK. I didn't. Uh, I read your comment wrong. I, I know you weren't uh, bashing us or anything, dude. Don't don't worry about it. My bad. Um. All right, Paul. We've been on here for over an hour now and we're out of questions. So, uh, thanks for coming on, dude. Uh, We could probably sit here and chit chat enough and people would start asking them again. (laughs) (laughs) We need to get on uh, one of these days and just talk about mountain bucks. And um, you had a, well, before we got on here, we were talking about your season a little bit. You had a, you said a decent season, killed some deer. So, I've been doing a lot of missing this year. That's not good. Yeah. That's something else. (laughs) Yeah, that's something else that uh me and you were talking about over Messenger was release aids and just just, bow and arrow. I keep getting
1: opportunities at low light and I'm I'm messing up. I I hit a branch twice in bow season and then I, I just I blew a shot on a nice buck with a rifle in Pennsylvania. I just I couldn't hit him. I missed him. He was going, and I didn't get him. I, yeah. I cut down the forest. You know. <laughs> there you
0: go. Here you go. What broadheads do you shoot, Paul? There's a question Robert has. Right, right now I'm shooting uh, the Severs, Sever Mechanicals. Yep. You like those a lot, don't you? Yeah. I've had, I've had really good luck with them. So, Yep. A lot of people uh, really, really like those heads. I um, shot all my deer with the expandable this year, too. Yep. They worked.
1: Yeah, they did a the job. Yep. I, the, the the second buck I shot, I, I punched him right through the shoulder, quarter and two, man, at like 18 yards on a downward angle. And that broadhead
0: was fine. Didn't yeah. do nothing. Hmm. All right. Paul, thanks for hopping on here, man. I appreciate it. Yep. Always, a, always a pleasure chit-chatting about deer hunting with you. So, um, if you guys, before you leave, hit the subscribe button if you aren't subscribed already. And we will see you next week on another, another episode. Thanks, Paul. See you, everybody. Yep. Bye. All right. Bye.